Hi again. Welcome back to the Three Worlds podcast, series three, episode nine. And um, today I thought it would be really good to look at ancestors and the spirits of the dead and the whole thing around psychopomp work and all that jazz. As I'm recording this, we're just moving into uh, the winter solstice in the Northern Hemisphere. And I always feel these dark times of the year, they're kind of the time of the dead in some respects. You know, I mean, there's a whole tradition of, of kind of ghost stories and all of that at this time of year. It's the, the place of the dark. It's the place our, our own ancestors, I'm sure, kind of were more aware of the frailty of life and the darkness that was all around. And so it kind of focused the mind, I guess is a good way of putting it. So uh, every culture, shamanic cultures, animistic cultures, and kind of even mainstream religious cultures, all have connections to the dead because the dead are always with us. It is always a big fact of life, if you'll kind of uh, excuse almost the pun there. Um, you know, death is a fact of life, and so death is ever-present, and in the past was even more so. I think with the uh, the coronavirus that we've had this year, it's been a bit of a reminder for some people about the fragility of life. But in the past, that fragility was so much more there with infant mortality and with a much shorter life expectancy. Life was kind of short and difficult and the chances of you dying in any given year were considerably greater than they are now. And so that focused the mind that focused the whole kind of way that people looked at life and death. And so all religions have kind of had that as a, as a major sort of theme within them, and all spiritual traditions have too. We are creatures born to die, impermanence. So within shamanism and within animism, within the kind of earth-based spiritual traditions, the ancestors... And the, the spirits of the dead are an ever-present power, an ever-present force. And they were one of the main ways that shamans and medicine people kind of worked. It was one of their major responsibilities because the dead were dangerous and the dead needed to be appeased. And that is pretty universal. You know, we often have a kind of benevolent idea of the dead, but in most cultures, the dead are not to be messed with. And so the role of a shaman, a medicine person, was very much connected to that. It was very much around that, at least some of their role was. So they had different techniques of working and different ways of, of kind of dealing with that, keeping the dead happy. Very important to keep the dead happy. So we're going to look a little bit about that. We're going to look at ancestors, about ways of working with the ancestors, some do's and don'ts, and uh, also some stuff about psychopomp work, which is more the shamanic end of actually dealing with the spirits of the dead, escorting the spirits of the dead to wherever it is that they're going, and also kind of dealing with the dying so that they are prepared, being a midwife, all of that, really important work, really, really important work. 
So, I don't know what ancestors mean to you. For me, I think of them in two ways, possibly three. I'll discover if it's three as I ramble. Let's see. Let's see what I think as I kind of listen to what I'm saying and see if it's two or three. Certainly, there is a very clear-cut tradition of ancestors, which is the ancestors of lineage. Now, I work with different spiritual traditions, as I've said before on this podcast. You know, I'm a Tibetan Buddhist and I've received Native American medicine wheel teachings and I've received shamanic teachings from Mongolia and places in Siberia. But I'm not DNA any of those cultures. And so for me, there is the ancestral lineage thread. These are spirits that I am not biologically connected to, or at least if I am, it's very tenuous connection and yet they are ancestors that play a part in my practice. So it's very good I think to differentiate between those lineage ancestors and ancestors that are our direct DNA, our forefathers and our foremothers. All of those people that kind of carried our DNA seed down through the ages, you know, incredibly far back, of course, even going further back than human, you know, going back to the primordial slime on a beach somewhere or little planktony things swimming around in the sea. They are all our ancestors. Now, this ties in with the whole thing of all things are connected for all my relations, because Everything in the world is a relation because of that deep ancestral line that we carry within our DNA. Everything is a relation to us because way, way, way back when life was just first starting, those brothers and sisters that were all connected, children of the great mother and the great father, if you like, they were our ancient cousins, our ancient brothers and sisters, our ancient uncles and aunts. So... Although I don't kind of think of them as ancestors, they are kind of ancestors. And certainly that is why all beings on the planet are our relatives. But our ancestors, I guess, that we talk about mostly are the human ancestors. So we have our blood ancestors and we have our lineage ancestors. So I'm going to talk about blood ancestors. We all share blood ancestors and the further back we go the more we share them there was some research done with dna about ancestors that left uh africa and uh i can't remember the exact research but i know they they kind of worked it out that at, at one point there were very few humans and uh they they kind of found that we all had one particular matriarchal dna i seem to recall uh back to a a, a woman which they kind of called eve in uh, in kind of a, a slightly inverted comma joke uh based on the sort of bible of the abrahamic story of creation but certainly our ancestors are very related or we are very related through our ancestors, is another way of putting it. I once held a, a, a Paleolithic hand axe, incredibly ancient. I mean, this is old Stone Age. And um, it, was, it was in the context of a circle, in context of, uh, of a, a, a shamanic teaching circle. And there were about 30 or 40 people in the room. 
And it was very obvious, and it was stated by the person who passed the hand axe, that it was a relative, an ancestor of all of us, everybody in the room that had made this hand axe. And so we go right back. We go right back to those very first sort of ancestors. And we are all threads of connection back to them. So that makes us all related too on another level. But I think ancestors, it's such a big word, isn't it? I mean, ancestors can be our kind of grandmother Florence that died 30 years ago or our great-great-grandmother Florence or whatever. And yet it's also those incredibly ancient ancestors. It's a whole kind of big word for a, a very, very big concept or perhaps a small word for a very, very big concept, which is why I think it's important to chunk it down. And I guess that means that there are three ancestors. Yeah, I was sort of talking about that a moment ago and wondering if there were two or three sorts. And I guess there are three sorts. There are lineage ancestors there are immediate blood ancestors and there are distant blood ancestors. And I don't know when immediate blood ancestors and distant blood ancestors kind of become the same thing. You know, um, there's a sort of grayscale, a sliding scale between those. At some point, they kind of cut off and one becomes the other, but it's a fuzzy edge. And of course, if you were born into a tribal culture somewhere then your lineage ancestors would probably also be your blood ancestors. You know, thinking about that cut-off between our immediate blood ancestors and our ancient blood ancestors, I guess that's a good enough term, I think that's got something to do with when our ancestors are no longer known by their name. Now, I've got a wonderful niece that has done family research on both sides of my kind of family line, the breeze and the wood sides of the family. And she has got her teeth into it in a great way, and she's really good at it. And she's taken the family history back to kind of around about 1600 on the wood side and around about 1700 on the uh, breeze side. Before those dates, I don't have the names of any ancestors, but I've got a complete family tree from those points on both sides of the family. So for me, those ancestors, they're kind of familiar. They are kind of people that I know about, you know, going back seven or eight generations. I know where they lived. I visited the little villages in Wales where they lived. I know where they died. I know where some of their children who were kind of offshoots of the family went and lived. Some of them migrated to the States. I kind of lost track of them then. You know, I'm talking around about 1800 at this point. But um, they are they are people. They are people for me. Yeah, I really know them or at least imagined them as as people. I know, for instance, that one family member back in about 1840, the whole family kind of had an accident in a carriage. Uh, horses were going too fast and the carriage uh, upturned and they, they got killed. Now, they are ancestors. They are blood ancestors, but they are known to me. But before that time, I still had all the ancestors, of course, but I don't know them. And I think they then step into that kind of ancient ancestor point. And of course, the further back you go, the more deep ancestry it gets. I expect some of you have had your DNA 
done, your sort of deep DNA, your deep ancestral DNA done. Um, I had mine done a few years ago, the mtDNA and the Y-DNA, so I know a little bit more about those ancestors. I know that the, the wood side of the family were Anglo-Saxon. They came over from North Germany. Uh, they would have come over in the kind of migrations in the Dark Ages. And my mother's uh, DNA, the Breeze uh, DNA, goes way, 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 way back. It was one of the oldest DNAs in Europe and um, kind of came into into Wales via Spain and southwest France and started off in Central Asia around the Caspian Sea. And yeah, you know, we've all got those stories, but I don't know any of their names. I don't know who they are. But that doesn't mean that I can't work with them. It's just that I don't have individuals. It's like the further they go back or the further we go back in time, the more kind of um, blobby, <laughs> I guess, our ancestors become. They merge into one another. They don't have distinct personalities. Some people will have family lines that they can trace way back. I'm always a little bit envious. I come across people from time to time that have got family lines that they've traced right back to Eleanor of Aquitaine and even further back than that. I'm particularly pissed off with not having a family line that goes back to Eleanor of Aquitaine because I'm a bit of a troubadour fan, as some of you know, liking medieval music. So I'd love to have a direct known DNA connection back to her. Of course, I may have it. Who knows? Who knows? Because, you know, back before the 16th century, I don't know what I was or what my family were. And of course, the further back, as I said earlier, the further back you go, the more our relatives, our ancestors are all kind of joined up. I saw a sort of family tree once of going back to about sort of the year 1000 or something like that. And the number of offsprings that one person has from that point if you spread out the family tree, you know, three kids, the next life, and then three kids, the life after that, and three kids, the life after that, you get this incredible spread of people. So a person in the past has got thousands and thousands of living descendants now. With complete certainty, you listening to this podcast will have ancestors in common with me from way, way, way back in sort of, you know, Paleolithic times, caveman times, for want of a better way of putting it. Uh, but it's also quite likely that we share ancestors from the more recent past, maybe only from a thousand years ago. We are all very joined up. But enough, enough of all this sort of pondering. What do we do with it? What is the point of having ancestors? So if you were a shaman in Mongolia or in places in Siberia, your ancestors would be your spirit helpers. As I've said before on other podcasts, traditional shamans don't have the kind of animal spirits in the same way that core shamanism is taught, you know, the sort of Hana shamanism. They don't have power animals. They have ancestral spirits, and these ancestral spirits are generally blood relatives and clan relatives, and they take over the shaman and come back. These are odden gods, to use the Mongolian word. And when a shaman dies... Lots and lots of ceremonies are done over a 
protracted period, a period of several years, which is quite intricate and complicated. So the, the shaman's soul is kind of bound to the earth, bound to the clan, bound to the land. And they are then turned into an on-god so that they will come back and take over and be a spirit guide to future shamans. And because these are lineage shamans, or rather lineage ancestors, all of the shamans know them and have known them for generations because these spirits keep coming back and every shaman that is kind of related to this ancestral shaman will be taken over by that spirit. So the spirits become very much known as personalities, which is so different to what we have here. But unless you are a shaman, and unless your ancestors are shamans, kind of the ancestors that you've got are, are less useful, in, in inverted commas, to you in that way. You know, if you were, if your ancestors were like a baker in Paris, unless you are a baker, there's no kind of real dynamic traction that happens between the ancestors and you in that way. They're not going to advise you. They're certainly not going to take you over and kind of help you bake bread. They can guide, I'm sure. I mean, I think it's good to call upon one's ancestors in principle to help you know, when we do tasks, because some of our ancestors will have done those tasks and will know about them. For instance, when I'm making drums, I quite often make a prayer to all of the drum-making ancestors, not necessarily my DNA ancestors, but, but the kind of more like the lineage ancestors to come and guide my hands. I very often, if I'm doing any sort of craft work, I will ask the ancestors that love me, always, always that basic rule, you only ever ask the spirits who love you to come and help you and guide your hands and help you do the things. So that's a kind of little version of having an on-god spirit come into a shaman, but it's a very, very minor echo of that. If your ancestors were, say, a carpenter in Bavaria, and now you're working in a retail store in New York, then they're not going to be very much help to you within the profession that you now find yourself within. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be grateful to them. And gratitude is an incredibly important thing to do with the ancestors. They are the reason you are here in basic fundamental terms. Now, as part of my daily practice, I sit with my altar and I do all the sort of Buddhist bits and pieces and call to the spirits and make offerings and all that kind of malarkey. But I also, as part of that, have three small kind of areas on my altar where I connect with the ancestors on a daily basis and offer gratitude and make offerings to them. Now, the one place, the one sort of set of ancestors are all of the male ancestors of all of the families, the, the DNA, my DNA male ancestors that go right back. And that's on all of the family sides. It's all of the men that have been responsible. Basically, it's all my fathers and grandfathers and great grandfathers. And then on the other side of the altar, and I divide it up with the male side on the left as I look at it, which is the right as they look at it, 
and uh, the female on the right, which is their left, if you kind of follow me, um, I have all of the mothers, all of the grandmothers, all of the great-grandmothers. And to the male side, I offer my gratitude for all that they have done for the family, for me, for my ancestors, their preparing of food, their hunting, their protection, all of the things that they have done. And on the female side, I give thanks to all of the mothers that have given birth to the generations and all of the nurturing and all of the strife and difficult times that they've gone through. All of those beings that have helped this physical body that I have here come to existence. And then more in the centre of the altar, I have another place which is for the lineage ancestors. For all of the teachers and their teachers and their teachers and their teachers way, way back. All of the people that have held tradition from ear to mouth or mouth to ear and mouth to ear and mouth to ear across the generations. Different cultures, the Native American teachings that I hold, the Tibetan teachings that I hold, the Mongolian teachings that I hold. All of these lineage ancestors who are incredibly important. So I give thanks to all of those three every morning, every day. So that's the biggest thing with ancestors. The biggest thing with ancestors is gratitude. We are grateful to them because they are the reason that we exist. And so we make offerings to them. And very often those offerings are food and precious things too. So, for instance... Ancestors like certain foods, certain things will be ancestral foods. Very often it's, it's things like milk, it's things like beer, it's things like um, alcohol, different forms, and maybe it's things like tobacco. Maybe it's things like money, that lovely kind of idea that the Chinese have of uh, like false money, fake money, that is paper money, which is ancestor money, ghost money. And uh, little coins, anything like that can be given to the ancestors. Milk is very good. If I'm making a specific ancestor offering with milk, I often will add a little bit of honey. I will warm the milk up slightly so that the teaspoonful of honey will dissolve into it. And I give a gift of honey and milk to the ancestors outside on a stone. I work with the ancestors of the valley that I live in, in Wales. They're not my DNA. Well, maybe they are really far back, but certainly they're not my kind of recent DNA. But I'm on their land. So I make offerings and I'm grateful for them. For the, you know, when I do ceremonies and things like that here, I always include the ancestors because they are such a part of the fabric of everything that we do. Ancestral food is part of the reason why shamans in Mongolia and Siberia sacrifice animals like sheep. They give the food to the ancestors because the ancestors were used to a certain type of food. And if they turn up and take over the shaman and the shaman doesn't provide them with the food that they require, that they were used to, the ancestors get pissed off. There's also another reason why animals are sacrificed in these traditions it's to provide a ritual feast for those people that have actually come to the ceremony. We're kind of going off at a bit of a tangent here, but um, 
we have a, a a bad idea of sacrifice in the West, but basically, you know, it, it's about keeping the the food fresh. Let's be quite realistic about it. If you're in the middle of the steppes, miles from anywhere, and you're going to have 20 people turn up for a big ceremony, you can't go down the local shop. You bring the food with you, and the best way of keeping a sheep fresh is to keep it alive. And so it will be sacrificed, and it will be given in spirit to the ancestors, and it will be eaten by the living. Um, like I say, sacrifice gets a bit of a bad rep, but basically it's it's a very practical thing generally i'm certainly not in favor of animals being sacrificed that uh their bodies are just kind of thrown away or whatever but if you're going to have a ritual meal then you offer the animals to the spirits and then you eat the flesh i'm a meat eater i know some of you aren't um but uh most most traditional shamans are meat eaters too and in many places of course that's if you don't eat meat you don't eat that's the nature of, of being in a wild place that doesn't grow many vegetables. Anyway, we go off the subject a little bit. Let's make something really plain. Just because someone's dead, it doesn't make them nice and it doesn't make them clever. There are lots of spirits, there are lots of ancestors that are really not nice to know and are pretty stupid. You don't get instant kind of enlightenment and spiritual clout just because you die. So when you call upon the help of an ancestor, you have to be careful. You have to be selective. That's why I always go on about ancestors that love you. And let's face it, they may love you, but they may be as stupid as anything. And their ideas may not be very helpful, but they still might love you. So it's very important that you're careful when you work with ancestors because they do not all love you and they do not all wish you well and they do not all offer sensible advice or sensible guidance. But that doesn't mean that you can't make offerings to them or be grateful to them. Even the ones that were buggers back in the day, even the ones that were really not nice people, you can still be grateful to them. You can still make offerings. It's whether you invite them into your circle that matters. You can make an offering to an ancestor without kind of making it all chummy and buddy-buddy. Yeah? You just make an offering. That is simple. You're just simply saying thank you. You're not saying, hey, be my bestie. But you can have ancestors that you kind of get to know. If you do shamanic work, if you actually do journey work, you can go to your spirits if you trust your spirits. And you do need to have spirits that you can trust. And you can ask your spirits, if it's appropriate, please introduce me to an ancestor that would be useful for me to know so that I can get to know that ancestor and see what happens. And your spirits may say no, because it may not be the right time. And they may say yes, and they may introduce you to a, a distant ancestor that you don't necessarily know. That will be helpful to you. That will be a good spirit helper for you in some respect. I have one that was given to me by my spirits that introduced me to this uh, to this ancestor. And I'm not going to say too much about the ancestor, but 
she lived a long time back and she was kind of surprised and I was kind of surprised but she's now come to the fore and she is a very useful useful ancestor who gives me teachings now of course I have no way of knowing if this ancestor was real whether this is in my entirely in my imagination it doesn't matter you know it really doesn't matter we can't prove these things I trust that this ancestor spirit is helpful to me and she gives good advice and that's that's all you need to do you have to suspend the the kind of air of disbelief with shamanism because so much of it cannot be proved and of course the downside of that is the people get into fantasy and everything else but the more you do it the more grounded you get because you kind of get to know the qualities of things you get the i always talk about air miles you get air miles under your belt and uh ancestral work is just the same you need to clock up the air miles the shamanic air miles so that you can kind of work out what's real and what's nonsense but make offerings to the ancestors but that doesn't mean that you need to invite them in you kind of make offerings to them. You take food to them. You don't invite them to come and eat food with you. That's the difference. So next time, I'm going to talk about when ancestors go bad. Uh, kind of psychopomp work, the, the, the kind of the ups and the downs a little bit. But before I finish today... I'd just like to talk a little bit about lineage ancestors because I know some of you are kind of thinking, well, I haven't got any lineage ancestors because I've never kind of done any work with traditional shamans and I haven't received teachings from whatever. That's nonsense. You've all, everybody, all of us have got lineage ancestors. If you've ever read a book and that book has given you teachings, the person who wrote it is a lineage ancestor. Okay, maybe they're still alive, so they're going to be a lineage ancestor at some point, but they will have been taught by somebody. And so they will be lineage ancestors. If you are in the West and have worked in the kind of core shamanic way, then Michael Harner is a lineage ancestor. Even if you never met the guy, even if you never worked with the guy, his teachings have rippled out. And so he's a lineage ancestor. You've listened to me rambling on about things in these podcasts. And maybe you've heard me talk about some bear or some Rinpoche or something. They are your lineage ancestors. Anybody that has given teachings that has trickled down to you in whatever way. We all have lineage ancestors. So we can be grateful to those. Absolutely it's the stuff of life. It's the stuff of shamanism. We stand on the shoulders of giants. All of us do. We are part of a chain of lives. Part of a great chain of lives and a great chain of teachings. And whatever small link we hold, that's important. And one day we will become ancestors. We may not become on gods. We may not go into other shamans and kind of take them over and do all that whiz-bang stuff. But we are going to be ancestors. So till next time, thank you for listening to this one. If you want to subscribe to Sacred Hoop magazine, it's sacredhoop.org forward slash offer.html. 
If you want to go to the website for this podcast and uh, all the sort of sacred objects and things that I sell, it's numeral three threeworlds.co.uk. If you would like to support the podcast, make a small donation to help with the hosting fees and things like that, then it would be good to send a PayPal donation to donation at sacredhoop.org. If you'd like to email me, and I do love getting your emails, even if I don't always get time to reply, my email address is nick at sacredhoop.org. And I think that's about it. Thank you so much for listening to this one. And I hope you have a good week. And I will be back in a week's time. And uh, till then, take care. Look after yourselves. And I'll see you then. Bye-bye.